Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're coming at you live from sunny Akron, Ohio, inside my wife's closet, because the sound is best here. Uh, Good news, true crime addicts. We survived another week. It is Friday, November 19th, 2021, and these are the top true crime stories in the world. Uh, Rittenhouse. That's, I mean, is there anything else to say? Jury deliberations continue in the trial of 17-year-old, well, he's 17-year-old at the time of the murders, Kyle Rittenhouse, who's on trial for killing Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber in Kenosha, Wisconsin, following some some riots there. He was using an AR-15-style rifle. He was bought by another adult. He was dropped off by his mom. Good luck. Have fun at the riots. Now he's on trial for murder. Uh, the jury is deliberating, um, and by the time you listen to this, they could have reached a verdict. Although I'll, I'll have to say I, I find that highly unlikely. I think we're heading for a mistrial here, but it could happen at any moment. Judge Bruce Schroeder has been in the news all week. Uh, during the, the tail end of this trial and heading into jury deliberation, sometimes he loses train his, his train of thought. Halfway through a sentence, uh, there was one moment um, that was cringeworthy to to watch and listen to, where he's trying to talk about how video can be manipulated, and he seems to be talking about sending himself a um, a screenshot of an email via text, and he opens it up and he's he's like, "See, I I can't read." I can't read any of this. It's, you know, it's 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 it gets all distorted. Um, like my you know, eighty-year-old aunt would do. Um, 
he seems to not understand the basic concept of resolution. Uh, <laughs> um, he also uh, just yesterday barred MSNBC uh, from the courtroom after a freelance producer for them uh, was seen following the bus that was taking the jury uh, back to uh, their secret location or their homes. Um, so uh, there's been lots of drama around this case this week again, like I predicted, um, as if that's like any big, you know, win there. I think anybody saw that this was a mess heading into it, uh, as is um, the case when you try any 17-year-old for an adult crime. Uh, the defense has introduced, um, they put in a motion for uh, dismissal with prejudice, which I'm going to go out uh, on a limb here and say that um, this is kind of like a, uh, a trump card for the judge, for Judge Schroeder, uh, especially if he senses that this jury is going to be hung, if the, a mistrial is imminent. Uh, the defense has introduced this this motion for dismissal with, with prejudice, which gives him the option of dismissing this case. And with prejudice means that it can't be tried again, and they can't bring it back up. So that's an easy out, especially if the judge senses a mistrial's coming. Um, so I think that's a possibility too. But it's very likely... This case will be decided today, uh, this Friday. So, I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, personally, I think uh, he never should have been tried as an adult. He's 17 years look at Look at this, this kid. He looks like a, he looks like a kid. Um, not, not to say that doesn't diminish what he did, but there's reasons why we try adults as adults and, and kids as kids. So um, if you're interested in that topic, I did, an, uh, I did a, an episode of The Philosophy of Crime. Uh, check it out where I discuss uh, why people shouldn't be tried as adults until after the age 25. It'll blow your mind. Check it out. The next top story comes from Kendall, New South Wales. That's an eastern state in Australia. Three-year-old William Tyrell disappeared on September 12th, 2014. You'll see pictures of him in a Spider-Man outfit, which is what he was wearing at the time of his disappearance. William was living with foster parents and his five-year-old sister at the time. And that day of his disappearance, they traveled four hours. This is his foster parents. Uh, and his sister. They traveled four hours from their home in Sydney to visit the foster mother's mother, that would be the foster grandmother, in Kendall, which is north of Sydney. Across the street from the grandmother's house was a big state forest. The story goes that between 10 and 10.25 a.m., William and his sister were playing hide-and-seek, running around the grandmother's house. William is heard roaring like a tiger, rawr, you know, something like that. And, and he comes around the house. Then he doesn't come around again. He disappears, vanishes without a trace. How scary is that? 
At 10.56, less than an hour later, the foster mom calls 000, which is what you do in Australia. Here we dial 911. The police arrive at 11.06 pretty quickly. They mobilize immediately. Hundreds of volunteers search for this kid. Detection dogs come in. There's a crime task force. They treat it like an abduction. And there's suspicions early on that he might have been abducted by somebody working for a child sex ring. The police talked to two persons of interest early on, both local sex offenders. They named them as persons of interest, in fact. There's a $1 million reward offered in this case. And up until Monday, everybody was treating this as an abduction. But Monday of this week, everything changed. And according to a report in The Guardian, police on Monday descended on the home and property of this foster grandmother in Kendall. She has since died since the disappearance. And right now they're looking for William's remains. And they now suspect that the boy died in a fall from a balcony. And that this was all just a big cover-up. This is a large-scale operation. The police have brought in earth-moving machines, an electric sifter, ground-penetrating radar. And they even went as far as to track down the car that the foster grandmother was driving at the time. They've taken possession of it and are testing it now. So the entire uh, outlook of that case has changed, um, but we don't know for sure yet. They have not found the remains of this kid, and to this point it should be regarded as just a theory, but they seem to have some specific information that is now pointing to an accidental death. So um, good luck to them in their search. The uh, final top story this week involves the murder of Malcolm X, of all things. This thing about this is the thing I like about this this job, this podcast. You know, I can never predict what next week's stories are going to be. You know, last week I would never have thought Malcolm X would be on this list, and yet here we are. Uh, CNN is reporting that two men convicted in the 1965 assassination of civil rights leader Malcolm X will be exonerated after a new investigation has revealed that the FBI withheld evidence during their trial that could have proved their innocence so long ago. Um, hopefully you know about Malcolm X. Hopefully you've studied him in history at least a little bit, seen the movie. Um, as a young man, Malcolm X spent 10 years in prison for larceny. And while he was in prison, he joined the Nation of Islam, became one of their central figures after his release, and, and touted and became the voice for black empowerment at the time. This is, this is the epicenter of the civil rights movement in the United States. Uh, Malcolm X gave a famous speech called The Ballot or the Bullet, in which he talked about how African Americans should exercise their right to vote, but if the government prevents them from doing so, 
it may be time to take up arms. And for that, he was he was vilified. But look at look at today. Look at Georgia. Look at Ohio, and the attempts by the Republican Party uh, to mitigate the power of the African-American vote by gerrymandering and crazy things like that. Um, And you can understand at least where he's coming from. Um, Malcolm X eventually became disillusioned with the Nation of Islam. I did not know this. I did not know this about the Nation of Islam, but it's a UFO cult. (laughs) Uh, um, It is a splinter group of the religion of Islam. And the nation of Islam, as they call themselves, they believe that a scientist thousands of years ago created the white race, but got the formula a little wonky because he ended up making the white race intrinsically violent. Uh, we, We made their skin white, but oops, uh, they're really, they're really, really violent. Um, at that point, as their history goes, the, the white race overthrew all the other races. And they believe that Allah will one day return on a giant UFO, a giant mothership. And he will come here and destroy the white race and establish a new utopia. I, for one, welcome our uh, Nation of Islam overlords. Uh, (laughs) I will serve you well. Um, Eventually, Malcolm X converted to Orthodox Orthodox Islam. That's Sunni Islam. Got rid of the UFO idea. Uh, And that transition angered leaders of the Nation of Islam. And uh, at that point, Malcolm X told people that he believed that uh, the leaders of the Nation of Islam were planning to kill him. Then on February 21st, 1965, Malcolm X was going to give a speech at the Audubon Ballroom in Manhattan. When a man came out of the crowd and shot him in the chest with a sawed-off shotgun, two other men fired at him using handguns. Malcolm X was shot 21 times. He was pronounced dead after arriving at the hospital. The one shooter, Talmadge Hayer, was grabbed and beaten by the crowd and detained. No doubt about his innocence. Guilt, I mean. Um, The witnesses that were there that day, then they incorrectly identified one Norman 3X Butler and Thomas 15X Johnson as the other two shooters. Hayer, by the way, was always adamant that they had nothing to do with it. He, he said he knew the people that had the other guns. They, he knew who, were, who was responsible. He wasn't going to name them, but they weren't Norman and they weren't Thomas. Um, the current leader of the Nation of Islam, by the way, is this uh, Louis Farrakhan, who I'm sure you've at least heard of before. Uh, Farrakhan has admitted to giving tacit permission to assassinate Malcolm X. I may have been complicit in the words that I spoke, he said. I acknowledge that I acknowledge that, and I regret that any word I may have said have, has caused the loss 
of life of a human being. Norman 3X Butler now goes by the name Muhammad Aziz. He's 83 years old. Thomas 15X Johnson changed his name to Khalil Islam. He died in 2009. In a rare move this week, Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance promises to file a joint motion with defense attorneys asking the judge to vacate their 1966 convictions. The wheels of justice move slow, but eventually truth will out, as they say. So, nice job there. We'll be back in two and two with some updates on some uh, cold cases and genetic genealogy. Holy forkin' shirt balls! What a week in cold case updates. Um, At the top of the list here is a case I covered as a young reporter, a very green reporter, when I worked for Free Times, uh, Cleveland. Um, This involves one Ted Conrad. Um, It's one of my favorite cold cases of all times, and uh, it was solved just this last week. Um, Ted Conrad was 21. I'm sorry, he just turned 20, 20 years old. And this was, we're going to go back, way back, to 1969. This is the week that we landed on the moon. Ted Conrad lived in uh, Lakewood, Ohio, out, right outside Cleveland. And at the time, he was, a, um, he was working in the vault at Society National Bank downtown Cleveland. He had gotten a sweet gig. Um, a very handsome young man. He had this bright smile. Very infectious. And uh, he was obsessed with this movie, The Thomas Crown Affair, starring Steve McQueen. The original, not the Pierce Brosnan remake, which is also quite good. Um, and uh, he's, he, he got this idea into his head that he could steal from the vault and get away with it. And if he just stayed away from Ohio... For seven years, he could come back and tell everybody about his his grand adventures. That was the statute of limitations on on, uh, embezzlement at the time. What he didn't uh, understand is the statute of limitations does not work if the police know who did it. And they charge you with it. So this is what happened. Uh, On a Friday afternoon, Ted Conrad uh, went to lunch. And he came back holding this paper bag. And the security guard is like, hey, what do you got in that bag? And he went up to the security guard and he opened it up. And inside the bag was a bottle, a bottle of Canadian Club whiskey. Uh, and he said, this is for my birthday. And, and there was also a sandwich in there for his lunch. And the security guard's like, oh, all right, happy birthday. Have fun. And so he goes into the vault. And he takes out the whiskey, and he takes out the sandwich, and he puts into that brown paper bag $215,000 in cash, which in today's money is about $1.5, $1.7 million. It's a lot of money, especially if you're 20. And he leaves at the end of the day, and the security guard has already checked his, his bag, so he doesn't check it again, and he, and he just walks out. He strolls out doesn't use a gun. This is not even a robbery. Technically, it's it's embezzlement because he works for the bank. And he leaves. And 
And he has the whole weekend before anybody knows he's missing. They don't know he's missing until Monday. He doesn't show up for his shift. And then they do an audit of the bank and they realize, oh my God, he walked out of here with all that money. And then they call the police, they call the FBI, they start this manhunt. And and he was very smart about that. I think he planned this specifically for that weekend because we landed on the moon. Uh, any other time, his story would have been front page, plain dealer, Cleveland, Ohio, would have been picked up on all the... But all we were talking about was the moon landing. And so he got relegated to like page three. So very smart... Smart young man. Uh, and uh, he took off. He uh, was next. The next time he was sighted was in Hawaii about a week later. He uh, he was at the bar. I think he was probably celebrating and just having a drink. And he strikes up a conversation with this, uh, this couple that were at the bar, too. And uh, they get to talking. And, and he's like, hey, where are you guys from? And they say, Cleveland, Ohio. And they're like, where are you from? And he's like, ah, I got to use the restroom. Hang on. And he walks away and disappears again. And then the couple, of course, they come back. They they see the newspapers about Ted Conrad. They're like, oh, my God, this is the kid we saw. So that's the last confirmed sighting of Ted Conrad. And we've been wondering all this time where he's at. A couple years ago, this like 10 years ago, I was watching an episode of Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations. I'm a big Anthony Bourdain fan. There's this one episode where he goes to Hawaii and uh, he finds this old man living on the side of a volcano running this, um, this is before Airbnb, but it was a bed and breakfast. And the volcano was erupting, not like huge, but like it was spewing lava very slowly. And they had to evacuate the place. And this old man, he, he wouldn't leave. He says, I got nowhere to go. And it it hit me that this old man, he looked exactly like an older Ted Conrad. And he was very cagey about his his past. He wouldn't talk about his past. And they couldn't get this guy to leave. So I contacted the marshals, who the U.S. marshals have this case. And uh, and I said, I think this might be Ted Ted Conrad. And, and they looked into it. And uh, and they, they told me later on, they, they're like, you know, I don't think that's him. Um, flash forward to last Friday, I get a call from Pete, Pete Elliott, who is the uh, U.S. Marshal for Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, his father uh, was the guy that was the marshal when Ted Conrad took off. It's, this, it's a legacy. That, you know, the Elliots have run the marshal's office in Cleveland for like a hundred years. Um, so his father was always looking for him. Now Pete has inherited the case. He called me. He's like, Hey, we're having this press conference. We found Ted Conrad. Here's what happened. Um, uh, the U S marshals announced that they have identified Conrad as a man who died from lung cancer just this past May. They found out that he was living under the name Thomas Randell. Now remember he was a huge Thomas crown affair fan right this is why he did it in the first place and so what better name to give himself than thomas uh and he was going by the last name randell r-a-n-d-e-l-e and he was living in linfield massachusetts he had married in the early 80s he had a daughter and he worked as a semi-professional golfer he trained uh other golfers 
He also sold exotic cars. Um, apparently, he told his wife and daughter his real name on his deathbed. He knew he was dying. Now, uh, the marshals have not revealed how they've they they found him. Uh, it doesn't seem like the wife or daughter gave him up. Uh, somehow they, they connected the two. Here's what I think happened. Um, so, this Thomas Randell, he wrote his, before he died, he wrote his own obituary. He knew it was coming in time to confess to his wife and daughter. He And, and he writes this obituary. And in the obituary, he lists his mother's name, his real mother's name. And it's his mother, his real mother had kind of an odd first name. It was Ruth Beth. Ruth Beth uh, Kruger, I believe. And he puts his real mother's name in his obituary. If I had only thought to make a Google alert for Ted Conrad's close family, it would have kicked up. So I think it was that obituary when it was published that kind of hit, you know, and kind of alerted them to this this other identity. So um, I went to the press conference last Friday, <clears throat> uh, and, and I spoke to uh, <clears throat> uh, Pete Elliott and his uh, deputy marshals. And uh, there's this this um, other great marshal there, uh, uh, Seiler, David Seiler. And uh, you know, I said, "Hey, whatever happened with that Hawaii story? Remember when I sent that to you like ten years ago?" And now that they can talk about it, he, he's like, uh, he rolled his eyes. He's like, oh, my God. He's like, we wasted like five months on that tip. We really thought it was him, too. And they went out to Hawaii. I mean, what a, what a great job. You know, I, hey, I got to go to Hawaii and look for this missing guy. Uh, they went out to Hawaii and they tracked down that old man on that volcano. And they got they got a serotipitous, uh, uh, if I'm saying that right, um, DNA sample. Uh, he might have drank it from a bottle or something and left it down. And they grabbed it and they tested his DNA. It did not match Ted Conrad. But that's, you know, you send a tip, you never know what happens. But apparently they wasted like five months. Sorry about that. Uh, my bad. The other big cold case update this week uh, involves the Sarah Benford case. Uh, this is not so popular in the United States. This is a big case in the UK. Uh, very interesting. Um, just this week, uh, police are actually right now, police are currently excavating a 230 foot square section of earth in Kettering, searching for the remains of Sarah Benford. Now, Kettering is north in uh, North Ham Hamptonshire, Northamptonshire County. That's uh, in the countryside north of London. It's a big case over there. Sarah Benford was 14 years old when she vanished on April 6, 2000. She was kind of a troubled young woman. She was living in foster care in this foster care home. Uh, around the time of her disappearance, she had told a hospital doctor that she'd been having sex. She'd been injecting heroin. She fled uh, that foster home a week before her disappearance. She was last seen April 6, 2000, 
she, uh, while she was having an argument with her mother in downtown Kettering. According to uh, Northants Live, it's a, uh, a website out of uh, Northamptonshire. Um, according to them, Sarah called her mom later that day, begging to have the police pick her up at an address in Hampton Crescent. But the police at the time said they wouldn't babysit her. She was never seen again. In the years since, they've done searches all over London and Wales. Apparently they have a, a really good new tip that has led them back to Kettering. So hopefully they can resolve that case. This was a big week in genetic genealogy. There's lots of news. Uh, the tiger later, lady, the tiger lady has been identified. On October 26, 1991, the body of a young woman was found on I-80 in Knowlton Township, New Jersey. That's kind of like the main thoroughfare between like Ohio and New York City, by the way. It takes you through the... Uh, the wastelands of uh, Pennsylvania, probably the most boring strip of highway in the United States, uh, the stomping ground of many a serial killer in the early 90s and late 80s. Perhaps she was a victim of one of these. Uh, they, uh, they called her the Tiger Lady because she had a tattoo of a Bengal tiger on her left calf. Uh, they ruled her death a homicide. They didn't know where to start because they didn't even know who the victim was. Well, Bodhi Technology, who you'll hear a lot of, great company. They do a lot of genetic testing. They did the testing for this case and the genetic investigation, <clears throat> along with the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And they've identified Tiger Lady as a missing teen from Coatesville, PA. Um, there's a press conference later today, and perhaps they'll reveal this young woman's real name and further details. And now that we know who she is, the investigation into her homicide can, can really begin. Uh, here's another case solved by the DNA Doe Project, Margaret Press and, and her people there. Uh, and it's right in my backyard, and I heard nothing about this. I'm slightly perturbed. Um, <laughs> here's from the uh, press release from the DNA Doe Project. Uh, after excavators uh, unearthed up the... Uh, I'm sorry, let me go back here. Exca excavators uh, unearthed a pine box containing the re uh, remains of a person uh, back in August 2019. It appears that uh, they were doing some work on this property. They found this old pine coffin, and inside were human remains. And they're like, what the hell is this? Um, at the time, Dr. Lisa Kohler, Summit County Medical Examiner, my, my personal medical examiner here in Summit County, she said she'd heard reports that people were buried on that property way back in the mid-1800s but could find no records indicating who the deceased might be. You find a dead body in your backyard, you're going to want to know who that is. So they, they took it to uh, the DNA Doe Project, and 
bone samples were sent for DNA extraction and sequencing in February 2020. And then in early January 2021, gen genealogy research began. Then just this week, the DNA Doe Project, in conjunction with the Hudson Police Department, announced the identification of the remains. They belong to Richard Bunce, and they are the oldest remains the DNA Doe Project volunteers have identified to date using investigative genetic genealogy. Richard Bunce was born in 1793 and likely lived on the property where his remains were discovered. They believe he died around 1852 in Hudson. Richard is li listed in the 1850 census with his wife Annie and numerous children, including a son, Anson. Uh, the, this plot is, a, uh, they found that they had like a little grave site. And the plot was in the location where Richard was found, indicating he was probably buried on the family land. This becomes the oldest case identified through genetic genealogy, usurping 1881 Hallie Armstrong, who was identified by the Porchlight Project, my nonprofit. So we've lost the uh, the oldest genetic genealogy case. Good job, DNA Doe Project. Um, finally, in genetic genealogy news, some uh, hope for the infamous boy in the box case. This is from Philadelphia, huge case in Philadelphia. On, a, on February 25th, 1957, a young boy was found in a bassinet box in Philadelphia. Investigators believe the boy to be between the ages of four and six. He seemed to be malnourished and physically abused. Cause of death was blunt force trauma. They've never been, been able to identify him. Of course, this is a, a perfect case for genetic genealogy. And a detective has come forward saying, we will know his name by the end of the year. And that's not too far away. So fingers crossed. Looking to Chartable, which charts the uh, top podcasts on uh, iTunes and Apple podcasts. Um, there's a new number one. The Thing About Helen and Olga podcast uh, is the top true crime podcast in the world. Uh, and this is the one about those uh, kindly old ladies from L.A., Helping homeless people and uh, seems to possibly involve murder. Um, there's a new, uh, new one in the top ten. Number seven is Crazy in Love this week. And uh, if you haven't listened to Crazy in Love, it's a podcast. Uh, here we go. Falling in love is the best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel guilty, giddy. But sometimes it makes us do crazy things and sometimes... Sometimes that means murder. Crazy in Love digs into the complex and contentious real-life stories of when beautiful love takes a gruesome turn. Uh, also new this week, number nine, Bonaparte. The Bonaparte podcast. It's not about who you think it's about. It's not about that French despot from 200 years ago. I... Uh, Here's what Bonaparte's about. It's been 25 years since Anna, since Anne Champion's friend was killed. 
but the case was never solved. When Anne, now a prominent Manhattan attorney, gets an unexpected phone call from an old friend, it compels her to return to Iowa, her childhood home, to try to piece together the events around Laura Van Wy's mysterious death. I'm sold. I'll watch that. I'll listen to it any day, all day. Um, as far as pop culture goes this week, I noticed that uh, my old buddy Greg Olson's book, If You Tell, is charting again uh, in the top true crime books. You know, you write a good true crime book, it will, it will, it will find its way to readers. And Greg Olson's uh, one of the best. Um, here's If you haven't read If You Tell, pick it up. Check it out. If you like true crime books, this is right up your alley. Um, here we go. Uh, here's the write-up. After more than a decade, when sisters Nikki, Sammy, and Tori know tech, hear the word mom. It claws like an eagle's talons, triggering memories that have been their secret since childhood until now. For years, behind the closed doors of their farmhouse... In Raymond, Washington, their sadistic mother, Shelley, subjected her girls to unimaginable abuse, degradation, torture, and psychic terrors. Through it all, Nikki, Sammy, and Tori developed a defiant bond that made them far less vulnerable than Shelley imagined. Even as others were drawn into their mother's dark and perverse web, the sisters found the strength and courage to escape the escalating nightmare that culminated in multiple murders. So check it out if you tell Greg Olson, note to self, call my mom. Um, and that's it for this week in uh, True Crime This Week. And in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, it is Friday. And that means we gotta, 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 True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed. 
and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.